Second uh, Thessalonians chapter two, verse one. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by prophecy or by word or mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. So that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them powerful delusions so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through his sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, and that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teaching you passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this text. Spirit of God, move in me again that these words of mine may not be my words, but they may, your, may they be your words. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pure and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, when was the last time you were really unsettled? Or restless about something. That storm we had last week. You know there's, there's fun wind. And there's exciting wind. And then there's scary wind. Right? I was looking at trees doing stuff outside our house. Last Friday night. That I've never seen them do. I was really thinking wow. Bit alarming. When was the last time you were alarmed? Unsettled? Or to use the vernacular of my generation, freaked out. Years back, I was bringing Jack home from his nursery school. And the area, I think it was like in May, and the area where we lived was under a severe thunderstorm watch. I think even a tornado watch. And there was a front coming from the north. And I was, you know, school was over here. Our home was kind of over here. The storm was coming from this area. And I raced off to go grab him before the storm hit. At least that was the plan. I get over there, get him, 
get back on the interstate and I see this front bearing down from the north. And this thing looks so menacing. This storm front looks so menacing. It has these kind of clouds hanging off the front of it that look like tentacles of a monster just hanging. It's rolling in like a, like a big curtain just coming to envelop us. And I started to push that pedal on that 2010 Subaru sedan. Let me tell you what. And I got behind a milk truck. That, uh, but didn't feel the urgency I felt, unless I think some unpastoral words came out of my mouth probably at that point, not gonna lie. And I was freaked because I saw this thing coming. I didn't know what I was dealing with. I couldn't get around him. I couldn't speed up. And the interstate, there's no way to get off. Once you're on an interstate, there's no way off except the exit, which is way down the line. So this thing's coming in. I'm going this way and we're gonna, we're gonna impact it. I watched the winds roar down. We were okay. We made it. No tornado. In fact, uh, I read Ellen Baca, who's a TV station meteorologist out west, describes what I saw. What I actually saw were called scud clouds. These are low-hanging dark clouds that often appear next to rain shafts, especially in thunderstorms. Scud clouds are stratocumulus under downdraft. <laughs> they look like fingers, as Ellen describes it, reaching out from below the storm. They could even look to be a tornado. But, as Ellen puts it, they are as harmless as a cotton ball cumulus cloud. It's a gusty storm, but no tornado. It scared me, but we were okay. The Subaru sedan we inherited from Papa A held up very well, aerodynamically and such. It was the tornado in me, it was the fear and reactivity in me that was really more of the problem. (laughs) The same thing can happen to us spiritually. We can get so caught up into whatever we perceive is bearing down on us that we create our own tornado inside of us. And we, in fact become dangerous and we can turn into a wreck of sorts even a spiritual wreck this is what Paul is going to correct here for the people in Thessalonia they got an encouraging letter first that was first Thessalonians now they're getting influenced by these deceiving folks and Paul has to get them back on track because they're getting deceived. And he says it this way. He starts with dealing with their emotions. He says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered in him, gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us. Scholar Leon Morris points out that Paul's verb here in Greek is saluthenai, which means unsettled. And the Greek here for that unsettled saluthenai may be used to describe motion produced by a wind or a wave. It indicates a restless tossing as a ship not securely moored or even shaken loose from its mooring. Scholar Abraham Smith suggests one translation of this would be for the church to not, quote, be quickly shaken out of its wits. 
the Thessalonians were shook. Paul's trying to get them to chill. What's alarming them or shaking them up apparently, as Paul describes it, is that apparently Paul and his crew were misrepresented to them as having said that Jesus already came. But Paul makes super clear, no, that has not happened. We never said that. Others did. Apparently there was like a fervor for this around this time period. And then when you add to the fact that the early church was suffering and struggling, you have the ingredients for kind of a thunderstorm of of anxiety and fear. Maybe this is it. Maybe this has happened. Well, it hadn't. Scholar R.L. Thomas puts it this way. The readers had not missed it. They had not missed the Lord's coming. They were not in the day of the Lord because the clear indicators of the Lord's return had not yet appeared. Paul is clear that such a day is still on the way. It's in the forecast. But it's going to be preceded by some very specific ugliness. And here we get a little bit of a tour of kind of the choreography of evil working. He says, the rebellion occurs, the man of lawlessness is revealed He will oppose, exalt himself, set himself off on God's temple. Now he tells them, he says, do you remember when I was with you, I told you about these things? So the challenge here is that we have kind of a puzzle with, we get some pieces of the puzzle in this text and then other pieces of the puzzle he's told them about previously. We don't really get the whole picture, but we get enough pieces to kind of put some things together. There's a force holding this evil man of lawlessness back right now. The power of lawlessness is already at work. Then the one who holds it back is going to be taken away. Then the lawless one's going to be revealed. And then Jesus is going to overthrow him. Satan's going to work first, though. He's going to display power, wonders, signs that serve the lie. People will perish because they refuse to love the truth. And God's going to send another delusion upon those already deluded so that they keep believing the lie, but they were already deluded. God didn't do that. Well, there's a lot going on here. And again, we get this set of puzzle pieces. We don't get the whole puzzle, but he's kind of telling them to remember what he already said and then filling it in with this. We can tell a lot, though, from the pieces we have. We've got this man of lawlessness. We've got somebody holding him back. We've got the power of the devil to delude and deceive people. And we've got the long-range forecast, which we'll get into in a minute. But first, who is this person or this, this entity holding back the man of lawlessness? There isn't a scholarly consensus on this. One scholar says... Whoever that, that, the, that the entity holding back this man of lawlessness could be the Roman Empire as personified by the emperor. It could be the principle of law and order. could be the Jewish state. could be Satan. could be a force or person hostile to God. could be God and his power. could be the Holy Spirit. could be the gospel proclaimed by Christian missionaries. could be an angelic figure restraining evil. Lots of possibilities. There does seem to be a consensus that the restraining influence, whatever is restraining this power of bad, is probably good. It's probably a good. But as for this man of lawlessness, 
as Dr. Leon Morris points out, it's difficult to say who it is. And there have been many suggestions. It's usually some outstanding evil person at the time of the suggestion, right? Throughout history, there have been many who have done Satan's evil work. But Paul's concern here is not with the evil ones who appear from time to time, but with the most infamous of all. One who will appear in the last days. Paul never uses the word antichrist. But plainly he has in mind, Dr. Morris says, the one whom John calls by this name. He's not Satan. He's different than Satan. But he is Satan's instrument imbued with Satan's spirit. So this is big language here. This is cosmic warfare here. This is interpreting and framing what is the reality. Mel Gibson, when he did uh, last the um, Passion of the Christ, I w- the, the film, which is a great film, he's a master filmmaker for sure. And I remember reading about his account of making the film and just saying he could sense that there were these forces battling it out above and around this film. He had some kind of spiritual depth perception seeing the battles, the battles that, that's at work to, to I think, uh, resist the proclamation of the truth. This is what Paul presents to us here, right? There's a picture. It's artistic. It helps us interpret what we face and what's going on around us. Now, there's been a lot of speculation about who exactly the Antichrist is. And I like what Michael Holmes, uh, who's professor emeritus of biblical studies in early Christianity at Bethlehem University. I like what he says. He says that when people speculate about who the Antichrist is, there's a long list of potential candidates. It includes Roman emperors. These are all the people who have been considered to be the Antichrist right through the ages. They've been thought of this way. Roman emperors, the leader of the Vandal invaders who sacked Rome, Muhammad, various popes, the papacy itself, Emperor Frederick II, Pope Gregory IX, each of whom viewed the other as the Antichrist. Martin Luther, King George II of England, Napoleon Bonaparte, Napoleon III, each side of the American Civil War, Kaiser Wilhelm of Germany, the League of Nations, Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, King Fasil of Saudi Arabia, the United Nations, Khrushchev, the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev, the birthmark on his forehead, allegedly being the mark of the beast. King Juan Carlos of Spain, Pope John Paul II, Anwar Sadat, the Ayatollah Khomeini, Yasser Arafat, Saddam Hussein, the New Age Movement, theologian Matthew Fox, poor Matthew, Henry Kissinger, and former presidents Jimmy Carter and Ronald Wilson Reagan. Six letters in each name, 666. And Reagan recovered from a serious wound. So people are bipartisan in their accusations of the Antichrist, right? Nonpartisan. Well, you get how frankly absurd that is, right? Some of these people are better than others, but there's honorable people here. And respect to the Prophet Muhammad, respect to um, the League of Nations, respect to um, you know Pope John Paul II and Anwar Sadat, respect to Jimmy and, and the Gipper, right? Of course, former presidents Reagan and Carter. The point being in Dr. Holmes's list here is how absurd this can get. 
who try to pin the Antichrist identity on people. And he widely, wisely warns us, Dr. Holmes wisely warns us, that obsessing about the precise identity of the Antichrist distracts our attention from and, and obscures what we do know. He writes, it is all too easy to get so caught up in speculation about the identity of the Antichrist that one loses sight of the main points of the passage. And that point is this. In the end, Jesus wins. In light of this, it is deeply ironic that some people, Dr. Holmes says, get so caught up in speculation that they end up giving more attention to the doomed Antichrist than they do to the victorious Christ. I completely agree. What we do get from the puzzle pieces Paul gives us is not license to be distracted and obsessed with whoever this figure is, right? We do get the, the forecast that this is coming. There is badness in the world. We get a spiritual interpretation of that. We should not be surprised by battle, right? Mel Gibson was on to something in seeing these themes and battles play out. It also gives us a heads up in what evil is like. That there's hocus pocus. There's like apparent strength and a power behind lies and all of this. We shouldn't be surprised by that. So we're equipped to spot evil. We're, we're given a heads up to the reality of how these things will play out in real time before us. And we can be though in the midst of all that and still have the long range forecast. And we can be in the midst of all that and be able to put the scary tentacle clouds in their place. The day I drove Jack home during that storm, I would have benefited from knowing the forecast of how the storm was coming, how quick it was coming. And I would have benefited from Ellen's description of what the scud clouds were and what they weren't. Right? This, this antichrist that is coming right, is a real deal. Right. A real scary force. Evil is a strong storm indeed. Evil will suck people in. Even people will get sucked in and not love the truth, as Paul says. Right? That is in the forecast. That is in the forecast. But in the long-range forecast, it is Jesus who is the real tornado, right? Who's going to wipe out all that is lawless and evil and bad and bring its destruction and bring goodness and grace to reign. The long range forecast is good. It's really good. That is what should captivate us. To see the hope coming over the horizon on the other side of the storm. Paul frames the nasty stuff and he doesn't pull any punches. It is nasty. But it's within this overall bigger picture of a God-ruled, God-directed plan. So we would do well to take the advice of Arno Gabeline, the noted evangelical leader who said, as quoted by Dr. Holmes, he says, at any rate, why should a Christian have any interest at all in that coming man of sin we have nothing to do with that lawless one. Our interest must be in Christ and not the Antichrist. I think he's got a point. Paul is saying to the Thessalonians and to us, keep driving, keep going, don't panic. Stay on the road. I've given you the heads up. 
You know what's real. You know what's coming. The scuds are there. They're scary. The winds are there. They're scary. But stay on the path. Notice how he just moves just so smoothly from all of this huge scary picture that he paints of the Antichrist and the deceptions and the lies and the men of lawlessness and all of that to verse 13. He says, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the spirit and through the belief in the truth. He called you to this through the gospel so that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then brothers and sisters, stand firm, hold fast. And he says particularly, hold fast to the teachings we pass on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. One of the things that we really value here, it's so evident, and what I love about this church, is Christian thinking. What we, Jim, I think, has on his board, his office, or at least did, what we believe reflects who we are. What we believe creates who we are. Something to that effect. This is what Paul's saying. In the midst of all of this scary mayhem, know the forecast. Know what's coming. And let that be the clear, refreshing, delightful air of hope and truth flowing into us as we drive in and through these different storm fronts in the midst of the deception and and mayhem. And it is deception and it is mayhem. And Paul gives language for that here. We We don't ignore that. We acknowledge that. We deal with it. But in the midst of that, Paul thanks God for the people of Thessalonica. He says, hang in there, stand firm, don't veer off the road, don't panic. You got this forecast, I've given you the immediate forecast, but don't forget the long-term forecast. And that's what we do in church. We help each other remember the long-term forecast. Whatever dire situation might be bearing down on us, we don't let the mayhem around us define what reality is in the big picture. Paul knows he cannot alone convince the people of this. So he ends this section with a prayer. He says, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. We need to be prayed for. Have you been prayed for? Have you, have you had the, the joy and the, 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 the such deep intimate experience of being prayed over? One of the other values we have here is intimacy with God and each other. Growing intimacy with God and each other. And in the midst of driving a car <laughs> through a storm and the car shaking, we can be together in that. This is what Paul is doing when he connects with Thessalonians from afar. He's connecting with them and and offering them a kind of prayer to be prayed over and prayed for, to hear in those moments when 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 the car's shaking and we're not sure what we're seeing and what it means to hear that you're loved, you're chosen, you're called, you're graced, you're encouraged. Breathe that in. And let that truth to hang in draw you to the one to whom we hang on. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, let us pray. Loving God, we, we see storm fronts coming. 
we see scary stuff and we need to cling to you because it is overwhelming and it does freak us out and it does block our horizons and it's hard to see around it and yet the long range forecast is good it is good there is hope help us to cling to you and to love you and to experience your love especially as we grip that steering wheel and drive into lord knows what in jesus name amen